Well, shalom and God bless you. Welcome to Fruit of the Vine Ministries. My name is John Davison. You've caught us right in the middle of our Esther study. We are in the book of Esther, chapter 4, and we're learning about intercession. We're learning about the Bride of Christ. We're learning about how to live upright, holy, and godly lives in this present age. We're learning what it means to have intimacy with King Jesus. We're learning what it means that, that, that we are called to live according to His ways, His purposes, and His commands. What He has for us as we walk out the rest of this life until we meet Him here, there, or in the air. And we're trying to find out exactly what does our King call us to do on behalf of the rest of His church? What are we called as the church to do for the church? How are we going to intercede for one another? How are we going to lift one another up in these last days? And what about spiritual warfare? So we've just went through our understanding of spiritual warfare when we went through chapter 3, and that's going to play into chapter 4, where we leave off where Haman has gone to the king. The king has made a decree to kill all of God's people. So Haman is a picture of the enemy or Satan or the Antichrist. Whichever way you want to look at it is, is really all three are the same. You've got an unholy trinity. You've got, you've got the devil. You've got the Antichrist. You've got the false prophet. So you've got an unholy trinity, and then you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the complex unity of our Father in Heaven. It's a demonic copycat of, of, of our Father in Heaven. And so as the church, we need to be aware of the spiritual warfare that we're in, how we're supposed to intercede for one another, and we see that very clearly in, in what Esther did as the bride of the king. And so here we are in chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, now this is concerning Haman and the law that was put in the seal and the scrolls that were put out to kill the Jewish people. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, it says he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. I want to read to verse 4, and then discuss this, because this is a very, very, very big thing. Verse 2 says, He went as far as the king's gate, but because no one was allowed to enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth, get this, in each and every province where the king's command and his decree came, there were great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So the young women of Esther... And her eunuchs came and told Esther of it. And the queen was seized by anguish. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he could remove his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. This is a profound section of the Word of God. Profound section of the Word of God. Why? Because when we learn that the enemy is trying to kill people, we see that Mordecai and Esther are both seized with anguish. Let me, let me explain to you God's heart. God says that I wish that no man should perish, but that every man would come to repentance. And the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ it says in, in, in the Old Testament very clearly in the Tanakh, it says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, I'm not saying the Jewish people in this sense were wicked. That's not what I'm saying. But the point of the, of the matter here is that God does not wish anyone to perish. God mourns for the lost, so much so that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And what did Jesus do the night before he was crucified? What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was in such anguish and in such mourning for the people of God. He was praying constantly. He, pre he prayed so much and he took upon himself the sins of the people that he sweat blood. Get this now. Jesus loves the people so much that he was willing to go and pray so hard that he sweat blood. Mordecai is putting on sackcloth and ashes. And it says because Mordecai was in this type of a garment that he could not enter into the presence of the king. Mordecai was willing to sever off his worldly relationships in order to position himself with the heart of God so that the people of God would be reached and not destroyed. So much so that he was able to connect himself with the queen, the bride, who had the right garments on, and she, listen now, she decided that she was going to have the same anguish when she heard the news of people being destroyed. Get this. The Holy Spirit grieves over sin. Scripture tells us to grieve not the Holy Spirit. We are not to grieve when the Holy Spirit brings something to us. We are to mourn over that sin. We are to mourn over those things. We are to get into prayer and fasting, denying our flesh so that these things can be flushed out from our lives. So we can position ourselves as the bride of Christ in anguish so that we would be bold to go before the king. Listen to this. So the young women, verse 4, So the young women of Esther and her eunuch came and told her of it. The queen was seized with anguish. The king was seized with anguish. The bride, the church, should be in anguish for the people of God who are being destroyed who are being deceived, who are, in other words, we're so busy pointing the finger at one another that we're not fasting and praying for the people that are dying, that the enemy is consuming. He, ro he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. Get this now. He may devour. What does that mean? He may destroy them. He's looking for an open door, a legal realm, a legal option, a legal avenue to come into the life of the Christian and destroy them. How does this happen? You say, this can't happen. This is absolutely ridiculous. Really now, why is it that when a pastor decides to lust after a woman that he loses his position as a pastor? Is that not destroying him? Is that not destroying his influence? Does that not take everything he ever said and put it into question in the hearts of the people he's discipling? Well, maybe it's not a pastor. Maybe it's you. What about that person you work with? What if the person that you work with sees you cheating, lying, and trying to scheme your way into a better position at work, and then you try to tell them about Jesus? Do you think that that makes your words 
relevant to them at all? Or do you just look like another religious hypocrite? You see, the legal access that the enemy uses in order to get the unbeliever not to believe you is you. Let me say that again. The legal access that the enemy uses to make you look as though what you believe isn't true so that you have no impact on anybody else in your life. You are the one that he uses in most cases. He sees you looking at movies you shouldn't be watching. He sees you doing things at work you shouldn't be doing. He sees you driving in your car, cutting people off and flipping them off and giving them the finger with the Jesus bumper sticker on. He sees you at the church checking out the woman who's married. He sees you singing up in the choir while you're dealing cocaine on the streets. You say, that's absolutely ridiculous. Well, really? Because I went to a church where that happened. Where the woman who was singing and leading the church in worship was selling cocaine on the streets. You are the one that the devil uses in most cases to keep people from coming to Christ. Jesus said, Woe to you hypocrites! Woe to you Pharisees! Why? Because you go into all the world to make a disciple, and when you make them, you make one twice the son of hell as you are. It's pretty strong words. But if we deny ourselves, if we deny our flesh, Listen to what Romans 8 has to say. Romans chapter 8. This is very, very, very important for you to understand as a follower of Christ. Romans chapter 8 makes a very clear distinction. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How many times do we quote, there is there no, now, no, therefore no condemnation in Jesus? But if we finish the verse, it says, for those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Listen. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and concerning sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Might is is a condition. No condemnation for those who condition. Walk not according to the flesh. It's very important. Our flesh and what we give into in our flesh is one of the biggest hindrances we have in our testimony and in sharing Christ with other people. So let me take you back to Esther. What did Mordecai and Esther do? When Mordecai, verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry, He went as far as the king's gate, right? And then it says this in verse 3. In each and every province where the king's command and his decree came, there were great mourning among the people of God and fasting and weeping and wailing. Why fasting? 
Why fasting? Why do we fast? Jesus made this statement. He said, when you fast, right? When you fast. Don't let everybody, don't, don't go out in the streets and show everybody you're fasting. Notice he said, when you fast, not if you fast. Jesus also said, when you pray, pray in this way, not if you pray. It presupposes that the people of God are fasting and praying. Why do we fast? What did we just learn in Romans 8? When we fast, we deny our flesh. We tell our flesh, you will not have control over me while I am seeking God. You won't tell me what I'm going to eat. You won't tell me when I'm going to sleep. You won't tell me what I'm going to drink. You will not tell me. You will be in subject to me as I seek the Father in the inner man and through the Holy Spirit. Fasting denies the flesh. Jesus said, anyone who would come after me must first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. The last time I studied or looked at a crucifixion and somebody hang on it, I noticed that their flesh was the thing that had the nails in it, not their spirit. We need, as the people of God, to crucify our flesh. We said when we accepted Jesus Christ that we were going to die with Him and then be raised with Him. That's what baptism symbolizes. A new birth. Everything that we once had is now dead, hanging on a cross. But we've been raised with Him. We've been resurrected a brand new creation. And in that new creation, we walk the way we're called to walk. And sometimes the flesh wants to flare up on us and we put it into submission. We subject it to Christ in prayer and in fasting so that we may focus on God. We may bring our petition to Him without our flesh in the way. Very powerful. Very powerful. And that's what we see happening here. Verse 4, chapter 4 of Esther. So the young woman of Esther and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was seized by anguish. So she come, so she, so her garments, so she sent garments, excuse me, to clothe Mordecai so that he could remove his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. So Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs appointed to attend to her, and commanded him concerning Mordecai to learn what this was all about and why. So she was in anguish and didn't even know the situation yet. She was just in anguish for someone. She saw someone she loved in anguish, and she too was in anguish. Do not harden your heart to those that you love. If they're in anguish, be in anguish with them. Show them, teach them, comfort them, love them. Give them the love of the Father. Verse 6. So Hathak went out to where Mordecai was in the area of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him, about all that had happened to him and about the sum of the silver that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of God's people. Mordecai also gave him a copy, also gave him the copy of the written decree issued in Susa concerning the destruction so he could show it to Esther to tell her about it and then charge her to go to the king in order to gain favor with him and with the king and to make requests in the presence of the king for her people. Didn't God give us a letter of the destruction that is to come? Do we not have a letter? Do we not have 66 letters, books, by 40 different authors in our hands, in our possessions, that tell us of a coming destruction and a scroll that's sealed? 
Some of us as believers in Christ are so concerned or so ready for the rapture that we forget how many people are going to die when this happens. Think about that for a minute. We, the church, the body of Christ, are called to intercede, to pray for people, to fast for people, to seek and save that was lost, just like Jesus. Some of us are so wrapped up in the end times about being raptured out of here that we just care about ourselves. We're concerned about not going through the tribulation. We're concerned about not having to see these great and terrible things. And that might be true, but that doesn't neglect your responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to make disciples today, to seek and save that which is lost now, while the time is still yet short. Esther decided, because of the anguish, that she was going to find out how she could get into the presence of the king on behalf of the people. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of Jesus. He came when he found out about the sins. He came in the the midst of destruction. He came in the midst of chaos among the Jewish people in the time of King Herod and, 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 and in those days that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He came during that time. came to earth in the midst of wars, bloodshed, rebellion, iniquity. Jesus came in the dirtiest time of, of human history where men were being crucified, where homosexuality was rampant among the Romans and the Greek people, where all of these things, where the leadership of, of the church, the synagogues, were completely corrupted. He came at that time. He chose to come at the worst time in Israel's history, in the church's history, in God's chosen people's history, and make his presence manifest to seek and save that which was lost. How much more should we follow in the footsteps of our Savior in this day and age? Think about that for a moment. Chapter 4, verse 9. Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces known that whoever, whether man or woman, wishes to come to the king at the inner court but has not been summoned, there is one law to be put to death unless for some reason the king should hold out the golden scepter so that he might live. I, however, have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Esther starts to reason among herself. She goes, wait a minute. If I go before the king unsummoned, he'll kill me. How many believers right now are saying this? But fasting, you want me to not eat? I can't do that. It's too hard. What if, what if I die? Drama. Demonic. That's a lie. If Jesus can fast and pray in the wilderness for 40 days, you can too if God calls you to. If, if, if the disciples fasted, and if there was fasting and prayer throughout the entire New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, who are we to say that we don't need to do the same today? Just because we have comfortable houses, we have air conditioning and heating, we have comfortable cars that take us wherever we need to go, we don't have to go through back trails and woods and all these things that our forefathers had to do. We're so comfortable. We're such a comfortable people. We've got all of these amenities and all these comfy things. But what if we return to the ancient ways and sought the presence of the Father to see what happened? Then see what happens. 
Maybe your flesh is the one dictating to you what you should do and not the Spirit of the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit is the one trying to nudge you into something and you've resisted it for some time because your flesh didn't cooperate. Listen, I've had those battles. Speaking from experience, it happens. But you have to overcome. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says that in the book of Revelation. He who overcomes, overcome your flesh. Seek the presence of the Father on behalf of the people of God, the church. Quit being so critical of the people at your church and see what you can do to make a difference. I realize there's time for correction. I realize there's time for being aware and not being deceived as to what's going on. And to have that discussion with people in a healthy manner that you can either get help or you can help others or you can make a plan with other people to make a difference. But I'm talking about sitting in the pew going, that's just not right and did it and it did and I'm never coming back here. You will never reach the heart of the Father with that attitude. It won't happen. Because all you're concerned about is what you hear and what you like and what you don't like. And that's selfish. That's not self-denial. Going on. Chapter 4, verse 12. So all the words of Esther were told to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Listen to this. Do not think that in the king's palace you will be more likely to escape than all of the other of God's people, the Jews. For if you remain silent, if you don't fast, if you don't pray, if you don't get in your hands and knees before the king, deliverance for God's people will be ordained from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. If you are not in the presence of the king, petitioning in anguish for the people of God in the church, I warn you, you may not have the heart of the Father. You may not mourn for your brothers and sisters, and you may be in a self-righteous, selfish, critical spirit, and you will never reach the king, and you will never see breakthrough in the spiritual realm. You will never defeat the devil. He will constantly beat you down as long as you continue to give up and give him that authority over you. And know this. Who knows if you may have been attained into a royal position for such a time as this. Yeah, it's the last days. But why are you here now? Why did God choose to birth you and put you as a living human being on the earth at this time? Maybe you've been placed in this position for such a time as this. Maybe you will be the one to change your church. Maybe you will be the one to change your job. Maybe you will be the one that God uses to change that person that's always been angry at you and that you care about and you love and your family, but you just have never been able to reach them. Why don't you fast and pray for them and see what happens? Why don't you have anguish for the fact that they're going to die and go to hell? That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of Jesus. He died. He crucified his flesh for you. And we are called to crucify our flesh for others. Continuing, verse 15. Then Esther replied, sending back to Mordecai, 
Go gather all the Jews, all of God's people, who can be found in the province of Susa. Then fast for me. Stop eating and drinking for three days and nights. Eating and drinking. I looked up the word drink here because I was curious if it just meant wine or celebration. And the word literally means absorption, consumption of any type of fluid. Three days of prayer and fasting. No water, no fluids, no food. Three days. That's what Esther called for in order to experience the breakthrough through the demonic realm that she experienced in the book of Esther. Three days. No water, no food for the breakthrough. Maybe it's time for the church to step up and do the same. Just saying. If this is what happened then, does God change? Does his heart get shifted any differently than it used to? It's time, church. Go gather all the Jews who can be found in Susa, then fast for me. Stop eating and drinking for three days, night or day. I and my young women will fast likewise. I and my young women will fast. The bride will fast likewise. Only then would I dare go to the king, since it is not allowed by law. And if I die, I die. So Mordecai went away and did exactly as Esther had commanded him. Listen, if God is calling us to intercede for the church, for the people of God, our brothers and sisters, what is a couple of days? What is a month? What is a year? Can you not put down your stuff, your busy plans, your scheduling? Can you not put away your projects, all the things that keep you busy, so that people's lives could be changed for Jesus Christ? Or are we that so absorbed in the church today? That's so selfish today that we have a hard heart and no concern for the very creature that God spent so much time creating. God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. You think he didn't spend time on the number of hairs on the person's head that you're angry with right now? Do you think he loves them any less? It's up to us. We are his body. My hand is a part of my body. My brain cannot put food in my mouth. Only my hand can. Get this. My brain, by itself, cannot put food in my mouth. Only my hand can. It's my hand working in cooperation with my brain which puts food in my mouth. We are Jesus' body. He is the head we are the body. We are his hands and his feet on earth. If the hand doesn't cooperate with the head, the body doesn't get the food that it needs. We are the hand. We are the body of Christ. If we don't cooperate with what Jesus is telling us, people's lives are at stake. People are going to die. And it's time for us to die first so that they don't have to die. I know this is a heavy message, but it is for such a time as this. That was chapter 4 of the book of Esther. Let's experience the breakthrough that's coming in the rest of the chapters so that you can see what you're working towards. You can see what comes out of this. You can see the fruit 
of what we're called to do. And until then, I want to just leave you, leave you in your thoughts, that God would speak to you and the Holy Spirit would speak to you right now about prayer and fasting and intercession. Maybe some of you are weeping right now. Maybe somebody in your life right now you know of that isn't listening, that you know is going to go to hell. Maybe you're upset with, for, for them. Why not pray and fast for them? Why not deny yourself so that they could come into the kingdom? I'm serious. It's so real. Seek first his face. Learn his ways and his heart. And know the Father. Join me for chapter 5 in this series of the book of Esther very soon. In Jesus' name, amen.